Filmers, what's my name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 98th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Jesus Christ. That's right. I guess what guess doing? <laughs> hey, no, they're listening, they're listening to the best podcast ever. It's where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2080 for May and June 1983. Progs, one, uh, progs 317 to 320, Fox. Oh, God. This week, Rogue this Trooper... Rogue Trooper remembers Millicom, Dread checks out a condo, and DR and Quinch have fun on Earth. Oh, do you see and- how that list was really short? It's because uh, nothing of note happens in this episode. Oh, Welcome I don't know. Welcome to 2000 AD Space Spinner. Damn. Uh, if- <laughs> dude, I'm really pissed at this month. <laughs> anyway, if you want to read... Worst oh. oh, no. Worst... Mm. Let me do my pre-show. <laughs> Hold on. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in uh, The Judge Dread the Complete Case File 6, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth uh, 1 and 2, Robo Hunter the, the, the Droid Files 2, The Complete Skiz Graphic Novel, and then uh, DR and Quinch Have Fun on Earth is collected in the complete DR and Quinch, and Going Native and Ring Road are collected in the complete Alan Moore Future Shocks. All right. And if, so and if you were curious about the most thorough episode of uh, Space Spinner 2000 AD, it's episode 98. I don't know Conrad, about that. Conrad is very specific. And I'm just trying to get uh, through my pre-batter, man. Appreciatively, <laughs> like people should go out and, and buy these things and support the artists. But I will say, okay, so it's not the worst. I've seen more racist and also more... Uh, <laughs> less experimental, weird, and bad, like, C-1979, like, uh, sci-fi special, I guess. Oh, like, man. Probably the worst one. But, like, man, I didn't have fun with this month. That is a bummer. Yeah, I did, but, like, like 90% of this wasn't fun for me. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's let's get I, to not, it and I'm see it in action here. situation for our listeners, but, like, uh, eh. You know, I feel like it's more that we've just had some real awesome months, and now, like, you know, there's ups and downs. But Okay, you know what, that's fair. Let's start talking about it, all right? Let's all get right, going let's with ever-popular Thrill One Robo Hunter. Is it ever popular? I think it's okay. Uh, script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner is Grant Grover. Art robot Ian Gibson, letter robot Jack Potter. So, okay, okay, Fox. Sam Slade's dead, man. But He's still dead. He's still a ghost, and we're still talking about it. Yeah, but uh, he's managed to avoid sentencing in heaven because there's another Sam Slade out there. So he's being and, sent back. <laughs> oh, again, like heaven in its all-powerful nature says, yeah, we could probably do this, but we're going to send you, the guy who's got a doppelganger, back to find the doppelganger without any sort of support network at all. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most ghosts don't have a support network. They're just down here haunting, you know? That's like, fair, right? I what mean, you I've doing, just spooking? Things. Stuff like that? <laughs> but, uh... So we sit back to Earth to sort it out. He gets dropped off at his at his dead body, but he realizes he'll have to go back in time to start sorting this out, and oh, so no. he falls through he the endless lanes of time. It. He doesn't realize it. He just suddenly thinks about something. Oh, that's and true. Is, and is suddenly falling through the quote space lanes. So he did. Uh, he did ghost mushrooms or ghost acid. I feel like you're always on acid when you're a ghost. You know, yeah. sort of a certain level of highness that's inherent to being a ghost. 
But, oh, I like Conrad. <laughs> but he finds himself back. Uh, he goes back to the climax of the Day of the Droid story in uh, Prog 174, a.k.a. episode 52. Do you know what my favorite thing is about all of his flashbacks, by the way? What? His constant appreciativeness of himself. That's like, right. Man, I threw that football, American football, grenade at, uh, at uh, Omerta. At the God so, droid, yeah. No, I, I looked great doing Look how that. handsome I am, guys. I feel like it's good. Good self, good self regard. But yeah, so we see Sam kill the God droid with the football, and then he gets knocked out by the blast, at which point he gets pulled aside by Ghost Sam for questioning. But Ghost Sam doesn't this learn anything new. Times. Yeah. Um, afterwards, Ghost Sam sees that one of the, uh, like robo goons of the god droid actually had a guy inside of it and it was the guy that was controlling the teeny max so that must be what yeah got all got all messed up inside the bot or something (laughs) but yeah so he's got a score to settle with sam and now sam has a score to settle with him so I guess just go even more back in time to when you were in that war with all the robots? Yeah, he's got to figure out where his double was. So he goes back to Verdus, which gives... I think I, I like it a lot because it gives Ian Gibson a reason to draw that awesome robot war from the end of the first Hunter storyline again. But with a spoopy ghost. Now there's a ghost. Ghost Sam talks to regular Sam who thinks he's hallucinating. And then he just kind of heads. Everyone else also thinks he's crazy. <laughs> right. But this was never brought up during the timeline. But I mean, it could have it could have fit in. It just wasn't on screen at that point. And then a war wagon attacks. So Ghost Sam heads out. Um, he then watches himself, de- himself and kid de-age. And Sam re- resolves to go even further back in time to a place where the progs haven't even covered yet. <laughs> so this reminded me, uh, I, I mean, maybe some of our viewers won't know, but there's a, um, there's a show called Saturday Night Live in, uh, in America. Yeah, and I'm sure they one know. of them was a, um, a, a short skit by a guy called Tom Handy, who would make observations uh, about life that were completely horrible but one of them (laughs) he said was that if you had a time machine and you were going forward through time and you saw yourself going backward through time and if you like both looked into each other's eyes his reasoning is is it would be super awkward (laughs) i could see that (laughs) uh so he's going backward through time while regular ass sam is going forward through time yeah. It must be a little awkward each time. It feels a little awkward. They always have to have a second of like explaining what's going on or something like that. Well, it's especially because he's explaining to the to the Sam who would have been the future Sam of who he would talk to next that he is the ghost looking for him. So you would think the first Sam would be like, oh, yeah, this is normal. Weird. And yeah, I don't know. Sam would be like, okay, this is a little normal. I, I, <laughs> I, got, I got qualms with this shit. Anyway. Yeah. So Sam continues back in time. Through his pre-Verdus career as a robo-hunter, back to the time when he learned robo-hunting during the Great Robot War! Which, uh, he was fighting alongside robots, so was he hunting robots? Was he hunting with robots? You know, it was on the, on the killing fields of the Robot War, it's where he learned how to destroy robots. That's where he learned the robots, and then he could hunt them. Or I'm something. I'm just saying, if you've got robots already fighting the war, why is it? That- 
a, a real guy fighting the war and because you need okay so listen <laughs> so the robot war seems to be this massive world war it's everybody versus everybody with constantly shifting alliances it's mostly fought by robots but the many of but it's it, at, at least on, on the american side or on the usa side it seems like uh the wrote like each platoon of robots has like a sar- has like a human sergeant that's sort of commanding them and like doing on the spot repairs and stuff um, and just sort of providing tactical know-how because these robots don't seem super smart. <laughs> you know? That sounds like a constant distrust of robot kind, and I am firmly uh, against that so long as it does not oust me as a robot supporter. There we go. I don't like the idea of war droids. I'm against it, sort of generally. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I, mean, I don't. I don't want to send droids to their death either, man. Like, I don't want to send anybody to their death. I, that's my big feeling. But uh, so Sam's leading a troop of, of USA robots when a squadron of uh, Japanese samuroids suddenly begin uh, a kamikaze attack, uh, and just I have feelings again with the Asian stuff. You know, although at least at least this time the uh, the Asian robots uh, speak with standard spellings and don't have any uh, Blakey oh, the Pentax but type also stuff. Also, scream bonsai, but also scream bonsai and and kamikaze themselves. And it's again unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> after the attack, Sam fixes up his ro- fixes the robots up in his command, and he finds that uh, one of them is sort of sitting on an unexploded Samudroid, Samudroid, <laughs> which uh, then explodes. Oh no! <laughs> Which I guess, hey, kamikaze, I, uh, whatever, what the fuck? Yeah, but so uh, Let's Sam, get, yeah, Sam gets knocked out in the explosion. He's carried away by the medics. He's unconscious, but we see an army doctor take a tissue sample from him, which is going to be part While of a secret. Yep, part of a like secret, cool. a secret cloning experiment. Yeah, man, totally without his consent. Real bad, and it's double bad because the doctor doing the cloning experiment. Dr. Deller is also the guy that was controlling the teeny mechs, but, you know, obviously way older and, like, messed up from, uh, yeah, robot explosions. Yeah. So, Sam's super pissed because this is, like, a super violation and, like, you know, the ethics of, um, cloning someone without their knowledge is, are pretty heavy. Like, that's some pretty futuristic stuff, you know, like, um... I feel like I've read a couple science fiction novels that have like talked about this being like, you know, a clone, your clone being like your brother or like your son or something or your child, I should say, or a sibling. Um, and it's just weird. It's bad times. This guy's not a good guy. And, I'm uh, just saying that scientists stole the idea of stem cells from 2080. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if it's a scientist that was stealing it then as opposed to, like, natural processes. One way or another, it's stolen from an early 80s children's comic, though. That's the important part. But so Sam's pissed, but he knows where his clone is. So now let's follow that version of Sam forward. Next time on Robo Hunter, Clones Progress. I'm going to tell you right now, mm-hmm. um, for a comic that is the starter comic. Yeah. Oh man, was this the most boring thing, second most boring <laughs> thing to read. Really? Like, okay, so I, I will, I will be fair in this regard. Like, I, I like Sam Slade. Yeah. And I love me some Robo Hunter. Um, here's what I'll tell you. When you have an entire issue, 
dedicated to I'm just going back in time through all the things that hey potentially no one saw by the way back issues yeah. weren't available like and then nothing resolving itself mm. like like I think it was uh yeah like the second comic that we read which was 319 yeah 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 like, where it's just him back in there just n- and nothing happens yeah. Nothing happens. No, I really agree. Like I'm if you you like I'm looking at my synopsises for for these things in my uh and like a lot of times they're real long, but my my my, my one for 319 is like three lines long cuz it's just like yeah, it's just the stuff that we've seen before. I definitely agree with that. And it's just is that acceptable? Is it acceptable <sighs> that that like the starter of your like look and again, I, I compare this to starters of the past. Yeah. And the king of all starters is Invasion. Right. You know what Invasion did? Invasion didn't give a fuck about what happened last time. I mean, going to blow something up or, or back a truck of danger acid into a thing or a guy is going to get stabbed with a fence <laughs> or like what the fuck ever. Yeah. In this, nothing happened. <laughs> or just even other Robo Hunters, where we—I mean, we've talked about how Robo Hunter has been a great opening to the to 2000 AD of just being like fun and kind of breezy and just like let's have like some lighthearted action and stuff. And like yeah. this stuff is okay, but it is very like literally stuff that we've seen before. And like, I mean, I, I realize that like it, it, it might be harder for kids to see that things and like be re- like respond sure. to it. But I mean, it's also just a little rough because it's kind of like the action is again, things we've seen before. And then Sam sort of popping in, admiring himself saying, Hey, have you seen a double me? The, the, that, that version of him saying no. And then I'm moving on. That makes it feel and very like, like, like a clip show or something. A previous version of himself to do that same thing. Like, Time twisters are more consistent mm. with their time plots than yeah. in this. And, I hear and you. keep in mind, like the only reason that I'm I'm being this harsh <laughs> is not even like the details. Because the thing that I like the most about uh, Robo Hunter is that it is it is ridiculous, and that <laughs> he is self gratifying. Yeah. Right? Like it, it, he goes back in time, and he is he is like, man, I'm great, I'm great looking, I'm I'm doing all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I like that part a lot. Love about the writing. The rest of it was horrible, and that's ninety <laughs> yeah. percent of what's going on. Right, like that's the progression of the story. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's a telling thing that like we're kind of getting towards the end of. Um, I'll let you know that we're kind of getting towards the end of of, of Robo Hunter generally. And I feel it like deals. this one, this one and the last one have both kind of felt like we're kind of running, like, like Grant Wagner's kind of maybe don't have a ton of Robo Hunter stories left to tell. So they're sort of stretching some of these ones out or something like that. When you, when you've got to go into heaven at that point, I feel like, all right. Mm. And then you have a lot of clip showy kind of things like, like we're having in these issues where it's just sort of going back to things we've already seen before and stuff. I, I think that's a fair, that's a fair criticism, I think. On the side, I'd like to see Bill Savage in heaven. Oh, Not man. answering for his crimes, but going to hell. Bill Savage in hell. I just want to see, yeah. I want to see Bill Savage respond to everything. But speaking of, uh, of stories that maybe we liked a little bit more, Fox, mm. let's go to Thrill 2 Skiz. Oh. Oh, man, you're throwing me for a full loop. Yeah, so uh, script robot for Skiz, Alan Moore, art robot Jim Bakey, lettering robot Tony Jacob. Oh, man, 
So Skiz is freaking out. He's having a dream. Yeah, well, he's dreaming that he's back, or he dreams that he's back home on Tau Ceti. He's relaxing on a fog beach in the copper noon light, listening to the song of the lung whales. Or, well, yeah, because he's dreaming, he's actually still on Earth, held prisoner by the by the government and stuff. Um, by the as, way, just as, yeah. just as an aside, as someone who has really loved E.T., did you ever read uh, the book? Like that no, I never ET2. did. Mm, I, I never read that one. So, but, but does, does it have a lot of crazy alien stuff about like ET's homeworld and stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, cool. it's literally. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if it's it's like a true thing or not, but it, it's something I read in my public library when I was super young. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's half and half. It's one half what's going on with Elliot in his life, ah. and the other half is. Uh, E.T. in his home world, and this felt very similar. Interesting. Just gonna say, like, just like what he's describing and how he's feeling when he's talking yeah. about it. It was interesting. I mean, this is sort of a return of the, uh, of like sort of the Tau Ceti stuff that we had right at the start mm-hmm. of Skiz that had a lot more of like, you know, here's a bunch of like, describing this, this alien world by putting a lot of words that we normally wouldn't like imagine being connected together and stuff like that. Um, yes. That does a really good job of sort of creating this sense that Skiz is really alien and that his world is really different from ours, you know? And and I would say that that is the... So there are two strengths of Skiz, and mm-hmm. I'll talk about this at the end, but the writing of Skiz is amazingly important. Like yeah. If you're coming back and, and reading this comic along with us, I really suggest reading the descriptor boxes yeah you uh, got to read skiz kind of slowly just because it's got so many words in it and Moore is really doing a lot to like really write the hell out of this thing i think yeah he's he's building a world while they're visually building a world yeah like definitely it's, yeah it's the two of them really work together absolutely yeah. but so please come yeah as the boffins on the base watch skiz dream like roxy's back at school um She's like, she's basically really sad and distracted. Um, the kids are like, oh, she's like Ilda on Coronation Street. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she's a weird alien lover. Yeah. Her, well, this is, that hasn't even happened yet. People oh, just, that's right. just notice that she's sad and she's just really worried about, about Skiz. As Skiz dreams, like his perfect dream of being back on Tau Ceti, Laws and Cornelius are at a wait at the unemployment office. And then one of Laws's buddies, sh- like, reveals the new headline of the Daily Mail, which is Space Monsters in Birmingham. Uh, Skiz wakes up in captivity, you know, finds himself still in captivity and screams as Van Owen smiles to him, smells, he's like, like, st- start teaching that thing English so we can give it a proper interrogation. And, um, yeah, so it's just sort of like, it's just sort of setting this thing up, but I really like here is just sort of, we get sort of, like, at this point, Skiz is sort of broken into three stories, right? There's Skiz in captivity, there's Roxy in her day-to-day, and then there's Laws and Cornelius. Um, and it's just a really, this one in 317 really does a good job, does, does a really interesting job of, like, marrying, like, the really mundane shots of, like, the, the, the other two stories in Birmingham with Skiz's dream of, like, crazy out of the, you know, literally out of this world, I guess, Tau Ceti, where everything's all magical and alien and stuff. I feel like those two things are great, greatly contrasted, I guess. But so I then, couldn't put yeah. it better myself. Like, characterization is i think what underlines skiz 
Absolutely. The most. Yeah. So next up, Skiz is being taught English. Um, instead of being, instead of saying the word, the word girl, he says, uh, Roxy. Like she, you know, he's what he associates like a female human with. Meanwhile, the real Roxy is getting yelled at and eventually slapped by her father for the newspaper Not article cool. in a very shocking image, I thought. Um, yeah, no, fair. And, and mind you, it's followed up with. So, so he hits her and we don't actually see. We just, yeah, we just kind of see him rearing back, but we see her like, yeah, she's like holding the side of her face. Grabs her jacket, like in a striking image, and then her just leaving, saying like, "I'm going." She says, "She says I'm I'm going to school." Next image after that is a black image with the father, like watching her go with his hand, and it's the the overlay descriptors are: "This is a man," and then say "man," like yes. It's one of the best transitions for, All a, this, for, yeah. for a story that I have seen in 2000 AD. Like All the transitions and skids are so awesome at this point, I got to say. Exactly. Of just they Everything jumps like there's a line or someone has a thought and it jumps to the next like set. You know, it, it jumps to the other set of characters and checks in on them. And it all does it in a way that's really like beautiful and touching kind of which is amazing you know (laughs) yes it's affecting like when i read this because it was the last this by the way just for Mm -hmm. everyone hearing this like this is effectively the last comic in the book for most Mm -hmm. of the the four that we read this month and uh when i got to this each time it was like Holy shit, like yeah. this comic's over now and this is what they're leaving me with. Definitely. Right? Yeah. It's effective. Yeah, but, 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 but what I think is really, what, what's really heartbreaking for Roxy is she sort of walks out of this, like, out of, you know, getting, get, get, getting hit by her father to be like, I'm going to school. Like that's going to be like a place of like safety, of relief from that. But and instead, school's even worse. Bullies are making fun of her with like dealy boppers on their head. Her friends are gossiping about her. Even like her teachers making like Star Trek jokes. And there's uh, insulting drawings like a ta- like slipped like taped to the top of her desk and stuff. It's real terrible. It's just real like all the everybody in this school is a huge asshole and just full on like we're, Pink we're, Floyd like terrible English school kind of stuff. Well, well we're humanizing Roxy to the point of like. All of us have, especially people who love sci-fi. Like right. We've all been there to us, an extent. Most of us yeah. who enjoy sci-fi have been through a period of, of where people are, are judging us. I think yeah. the 70s, uh, late 70s, early 80s were probably the safest. Late 80s, <laughs> I don't know. early 90s were not so safe. Right? I feel like where, it's bad for everybody, but I just like, yeah, this is such a great you, job because, of being... Oh, so, Because you have imagination. Yeah should not be a reason that you are ashamed. Absolutely. This girl who we have immediately identified with as someone who, who knows this kind of culture is being shamed. Yeah. And it's really just super heartbreaking. All the stuff in Roxy in this episode is super heartbreaking. Back at the lab, um, they're t- one of the words this they're teaching great. Skiz is alien, and in like kind of broken English, and showing him his own yeah. face. And so, yeah, totally. And so, in broken English, he shouts like, "You're the aliens! You are the aliens!" And, and fucking Van Owen just stands there in the back. He's like, "Not here, we're not." not here that was so good of just being like "Ooh, i love this guy he's so evil yeah Yeah, so great the villain 
So later at the pub, Cornelius and Laws are being interviewed by the press, and it's not going great. Finally, oh, one of the reporters like Cornelius. says, "Like, hey, like, give us some information. We're a working bloke just like you." And that sets Cornelius off because he hasn't had a job in like eight months, and he's just keep like, in mind, like the questions they're asking him. They're they're like really trying to get information, and the the way that Cornelius responds, he's like. He's being honest. He's like, yeah, yeah, like this guy's like Snow White. I loved Snow White as like a a kid and all of that. But they keep pressing him and they keep pressing him, even though he does clearly doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. And when he gets the breaking point, that's when Laz steps in and is like, you should you go. Yeah. You should go. <laughs> when he says you should get out or you, or go out the door or out the window, he is not kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. And, and then after that, like, Cornelius is so angry, he, like, smashes a pint glass against the wall and stuff. Luckily, the lady tending bar understands and says that Bur- Birmingham, Birmingham is really kind of a crappy place to take a vacation if, if you're an alien, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, I, I also imagine, like, Laws and Cornelius are here pretty often. That's, yeah. like, their local pub. Absolutely. So, meanwhile, now that he can speak English, Van Owen is questioning Skiz and being a real jerk about it. He's convinced that Skiz is part of an uh, of, of an alien invasion and doesn't buy his, like, crashed interpreter wants to go home, like, bit. He wants to know Which, what... Yeah. Damn. I mean, it's really, like... He is not taking no for an answer and is getting real in his face about it. And it's clear that, like, this, I don't know. He's bringing a lot to this. As always, Van Owen's got a lot of, of like, coded things going on with him. Um, but and and he, in the second best transition yeah, he, <laughs> that I've seen in this comic. Yeah, he, he wants like, to know what Rocky yeah. told him, what, what Roxy told, um, told skiz about like earth's defenses and stuff and he says and he says she mentioned the police what uh, once and what he said about the what she said about the police is that they weren't nearly as good as ma- good at the police aren't nearly as good as madness which is both a solid early 80s british uh, music uh, pun and a very catchy pro anarchy statement <laughs> and then we cut and, to roxy tearfully says, I, I think i understand her yeah, now. it's to- it's totally she's yeah. listening depressed to her acetate records. Yeah, to her madness album specifically, yeah. and she's crying and she says like, "I'm coming for you, Skiz. I'm gonna free you." And I think that's so In great. One of the strongest feelings I have ever had about comic books. Like this girl is like, <laughs> "Fuck that." Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm coming for you. Yeah. At, at at the pub, the hair and bucket, Roxy has gathered Laws and Cornelius try to free Skiz. Laws is dead against it, and Cornelius worries about getting in trouble that could hurt his job prospects. And but Roxy oh wait, he doesn't have a fucking job. And Roxy's had enough of these guys' shit and basically and, and, and asks Cornelius the big question, like, what happened to your pride, Cornelius? Which ugh. Like the just these couple panels of like the emotion that that brings out in Cornelius yeah. and how they and how she, and how how Roxy responds like hey like you know you say you're gonna kill me for questioning your pride then go ahead because I don't deserve to live if we don't try to get Skiz out of captivity. Um, oh, well, it's so first, amazing for the first time that we ever see Cornelius actually structure a sentence. He's like. I will kill you if you ever say that again. And then she challenges him on that. Yeah, and like good luck Someone getting a job has, if you've done who that. Has retreated into himself so badly. It's so amazing. I love this. So it's amazing. No, it is. It is. It is great 
writing. Yeah. And so, because sorry, and so because of this, Cornelius uh, basically has a change of heart. He seems to agree with Roxy. He realizes that, like, the kinship that he has with this like outsider from beyond the stars, right? <laughs> which is which is really amazing. And so they kind of start to plan from, like, you know, they, they're on shaky ground, of course, but they start to figure out a plan to try to get Skiz or something. Meanwhile, at the base, Van Owen is demanding that Skiz remove, like, his underwear, like his spacesuit, basically. Which, um, hey, I mean, that's attached to his bio soul. Basically, yeah, and he said, yeah, Van Owen says it's for science, but Skiz is identified that, like, you're just trying to humiliate me because you're... The most evil man in the world, basically. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and you can't remove it from him because it's wired to his bio aura. That's well, what he and, calls and it. And he specifically says to him in English, please do not remove this. It cannot yeah. be removed. It's attached to my bio aura. And so finally, a scientist is ordered to do it as he's objecting to it. He goes to cut it. And that sets off a powerful blast that quickly burns the scientist down to like a skeleton. Okay. So it's awesome. Conrad, yeah, Conrad <laughs> says says burned. He literally just smokeifies. Yeah, into totally. What is ash? It really reminds me of like a return to Armageddon kind of death. Actually, like that's what really that's, that's what it really looks like to me. Um, that but then. Is- Possibly the best comparison. I mean, I don't know. It just reminded me of that. But then as there's sort of this smoking corpse in this room, like Van Owen just looks at Skiz and calmly says, you've killed him. Like real accusingly and stuff. It's so good. Um, He's a bad dude. (laughs) Yeah. Conrad, he's a fucking full-on bad Totally. Dude. Next time on Skiz, it's We Have Weapons, and I feel like we've already spoiled both our top and bottom thrills by talking about these ones <laughs> so far in this episode, because Skiz is so fucking good! Oh my god. Um, it's possibly one of the strongest comics I've read like, even with this anthology comic to date. Even without a lot of action and stuff, it's just really got these real striking character moments and development and stuff that um uh really works it really works really well <laughs> it, it's, it's hard for me conrad to to so so i recall a lot of things that look amazing or or were mm-hmm. awesome because i like awesome things like right. say space magic of course demons right like right. these things are awesome um it's another thing to read and look at and watch something and know that it is it is um inspired but different mm. right like i have i've seen people talk about skiz as though it were et right yeah it's not no it's it's got a whole no it's real different it's its own fucking thing yeah and it, and it is really well fucking done i mean like i said i i think i've said this earlier but yeah i I feel like the the influence from like boys from the black stuff and this sort of idea of being kind of like this like down and out kind of england characterization things this how deep it goes into these characters you know like it really sets it apart you know like like roxy feels like way more of a character than like elliot and and like the kids in net right (laughs) That makes I, it I actually, such I actually a different characterization, agree right? With that because because the the purpose of Elliot in ET is to be a uh, audience surrogate, right? Like, yeah. Um, but, he's he's a cup that gets filled. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I where, I, I, where I agree with su- that for sure. Where where you're supposed to be a, emotionally a, a available for his kindness mm-hmm. of human kindness, 
right? And that being the good thing. Whereas uh, Roxy is her own character. Mm. And she is someone who feels a sense of justice. And mm, not that's interesting. Like, yeah. Not necessarily kindness. Like, yeah, she, she takes care of him, which is why she has a nurturing factor. But um, her, her ability, her, her first inclination is protection. Mm-hmm. And then when that thing is taken, it is justice. Interesting. Right? Yeah, so, I agree with that. Which is which is a running theme of a lot of this comic, which is like, what is justice? Yeah. Right? Like, um, a lot of the things that we read about is like the, the different forms that justice can take. And in yeah. this... Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that's the central question of Judge exactly. Dredd, right? right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, or a central a notion of invasion, right? Like what yeah. is justice or, mm. or is it really revenge? Um, for me, like reading this and how it's treated, mm-hmm. it's that um, this evil person is given no space to do uh, something good. They mm-hmm. are, they are a person who has been molded by purely poor intentions. Yeah. But all of the other characters that are surrounding this situation are characters that, regardless of their background or who they are or how they've been described, are people we we immediately sympathize with. Yeah, I mean, I think like, it's it's telling in that with um, the 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 doctor with like the uh, the ostensible bad guys, like the only real bad one is Van Owen, right? Exactly. Like all the Everyone rest of like the doctors and stuff. Orders. Yeah, they're like following orders, or they're even following them under like duress, or like like questioning them and saying like, "Hey, like this doesn't seem like a good idea." Exactly. And so it does a really good job of painting this Van Owen character as being super evil, or like of just or like just of being like super bad. Yeah, or, or or maybe even like super focused, I guess. Like, yeah. but that you know, it's an interesting thing. I'm super stoked to get further in. Like, you know, we got like a little, we've got more skis to go. Um, I'm really excited for what we're where we're going with it, especially as sort of the efforts to get skis out of out of uh the base and stuff like that sort of wear on. I think it's going to be real awesome. Uh, I lo- I, I like skis a lot. Um, you know. All this stuff, as always with, with with Alan Moore, it's always like everything sort of leading up to um, the the magnum opus of a uh, Halo Jones, like in in, in eighty four, um, and so you know these are yeah, the, the so the, Skiz is kind of the sturdy roots on which Halo Jones is built. I'd say I I have always <laughs> believed in this, and, and before we jump to the next, but yeah. the, I have been doing my reading mm-hmm. um, about Alan Moore. Ah. And uh, he has a firm belief, which is that a story must end. Yeah. And this feels like do. a a uh, comic that will end, mm-hmm. and it will end well. Like, oh in, yeah, in a in a not necessarily like it won't make me feel good or whatever. I don't know, but um, that's how enthralling the story is. I'm excited. It, yeah, it captures me so much that I I need to know the end. Not that like oh. Like maybe it'll go on for yeah. for two hundred prods. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah, like skiz skiz is something that I I just I want to know the end of it. Yeah, soon enough, buddy. But speaking of things that don't end, <laughs> it's uh for the thr- <laughs> thrill three Judge Dread. Script robot for Judge Dredd, John Wagner and Alan Grant as TB Grover. Art robots Ron Smith and Carlos Escara. Letting robot that Tom Frame. You know what? Conrad, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've been drinking a bit of this Australian Chardonnay. I'm feeling a little bit stupid. Oh, man. We're going to get more stupid because uh, the stupid gun story rolls on. There's a... Uh, there's a robbery at the Nat Hickenblock, who was an early TV producer for shows like Sergeant Bilko or Car 54, Where Are You? I don't um, know any of these, but you know what I love? I love a guy called Judge Uncle. Unger. Un- yeah. Unger. He, he's yeah. responding when he gets hit by the stupid gun. Oh, he's real stupid. He's going to chew on a microphone and yeah. hold his boot. It's real bad. Yeah, it looks like... So, I don't know if we were super clear about what happened, what what the fate of the stupid gun was at the end of last episode. Not really. Apparently now it's in someone else's hands and not the guy who sent a message to all these people. Yeah, I guess... It feels disjointed. It it does feel... I I, I agree with that. But it looks like a couple of hoods have managed to take it from all those guys and now they're just robbing people all over town with it. Uh, Dread races to the scene as a pair of other judges, Coleman and Dale, arrive. They see the two hoods get aboard an interblock zoom train and promptly start stupefying everybody aboard and taking their wallets. The... Judges try to stop the zoom, but the engineers of it have also been hit by the gun, and so now they're just wrecking up the joint, and the zoom goes super fast, doesn't break at all. It blasts through the stop at the Peter Parker block, who is, of course... Oh, uh, and, in, and in one of the coolest... Uh, sorry, before you can... No, 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 please. One of the coolest murders I've seen. It zooms so fast that it pulls people onto the track yeah. and then vaporizes them. Because of course it does. Everything I feel like if they, yeah, they hit like the third rail or something. But yeah, it's just weird. Like everything in this city will just kill you. Oh yeah, real life uh, as always. Life real cheap in Mega City One. But like you know, I always think that's funny just because I know I've definitely taken enough subways and stuff that you can feel that suction. Like especially if you're like at a train oh, station yeah. and like the train isn't it doesn't stop at that station, so it doesn't even slow down, just blasts right through. Like you can feel that a little bit. So seeing it sort of turned up to a 11 was really cool um, you know what's weird in in most uh cities that have an established subway that doesn't happen mm. like they don't miss stops or whatever no yeah. they they if if it comes to there it comes to there yeah no I th- it's mostly just for more regional like like regular like train no, exactly like, it, well, it's, it's less of a stub it's yeah it's it's less of a subway and more of a and more of a train thing like like amtrak will blow through some stations speaking of return to armageddon but like your local <laughs> your local subway won't you know um but so the zoom blasts through the peter parker block which who, peter parker of course also known as a irving spider-man um and it's also, it, <laughs> or, or as the spider demand. Indeed. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's, and it'll soon hit the Wall Street terminus where it will just hit, run into a wall. And if it does that, it's good night, Charlie. So, so we know approximately where it is if it's going to the Wall Street. Indeed, yeah. So the crooks are still just stupiding people aboard the Zoomway as Dread rushes to stop it. He jumps aboard the train and starts fighting his way through all the assembled stupids. Um, he finally... Maybe he just punches his way through this train or, as I've mentioned before this podcast, oh, yeah. fucking yeah, under siege is too... Uh, he under siege two dark territories his way through dark the train. territory. Nothing to do with the train, anyway. I mean, the train's going through a place that's called Dark Territory that'd make it harder for them to track the satellite broadcasts by the evil guy in that movie. Whatever. 
the the lady in that like the uh, the Steven Seagal's niece in that movie is uh, that that Catherine Heigl lady like still like sixteen years old or something. <laughs> but I, I would have just called it like uh uh uh, uh tracking a murder or like uh, yeah. Uh, you it's know. less it's less explicitly about trains than you'd imagine it to be. But uh, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, uh, Dreads manages to stop the train just in time, although there's still mass carnage aboard it, as it actually does smack into the wall, but not ne- not going nearly as fast as it could have been. Oh, or in this case, literally stopping a train in Mega City One means killing and maiming. 90% of who's on board. It's going to be some dead, but it's not like a massive... Like, it, it doesn't like to destroy the city block that it smashes into no, or it anything. Just, it just kills like a thousand people. Yeah. It's not something. So, Dredd goes to find the hoods. Uh, one of them has broken his leg. Dredd goes to take him down, oh, but dude. suddenly his lawgiver jams! But what does he do? The coolest thing ever. Well, yeah, he's By forced the to... Way, boot knife to the fucking neck he boot knifes one of them the other guy starts ta- uh, sh- taking shots at him with a stupid gun but dread's able to dodge around until finally the 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 perp gets the gets the drop on him and like goes to shoot him point blank but dread pulls like a mirrored tray out in front of him and it reflects the beam of the stupid gun back into the perp's head <laughs> good thing that uh i guess the stupid stupid gun isn't like a a ray Maybe like an X-ray. It's more like a sci-fi ray. Go through that shit. Like it can be blocked by mirrors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More of a sci-fi ray. All I'm saying is that he was banking on it being something that wouldn't pass through material, but be Mm -hmm. reflected by what is the weakest of uh, uh, light-based reflection. Yeah, kind of cheap. But anyhow, the day is saved, and this guy, Crazy Legs Pulver, is taken away, drooling as he goes. And I believe this is the last we'll see of the stupid gun, but it's not the last we'll see of, like, ridiculous dumb mega-citizens, as the uh, the, uh, simping fad will be upon us at any moment. That's, like, we'll see it later. Anyhow. Cool. Iscara takes over as we go to, as uh, the space condo Gemini 2 crashes into Earth, killing the hundreds of thousands of people aboard. Mega City 1's defenses break it up so that it doesn't completely land on the city, though part of it does manage to, 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 uh, crash into the city, destroying the Billy Herschel block, which I'm assuming is, I, oh. Do you know what ahead. I love about Iscara? What? Is that he's going to show people burning up on a uh, space station, jettisoning itself into Earth. I mean, uh, I feel... It's be- pretty fucking cool. And then also showing all of the spacecraft which he's drawn for the past year, blowing everything up. <laughs> hey, I, so you know, I don't want to... I feel like Ron's, both Iskara and Ron Smith, both have very good track records for destroying large sections of Mega City 1. <laughs> Correct. I will say that three thousand people, or sorry, three hundred thousand people living on these condos. It's a good amount. I will say also that the uh, the block that's destroyed is named after William Herschel, who is of course the man who discovered Uranus. (laughs) Oh, my anus or your anus? The the both the planets Uranus and my actual anus. Although he died hundreds (laughs) of years before I was born. Um, Anyhow. Twelve hours, twelve hours later, aboard the Justice Three, Dread is heading to investigate a murder on the space condo Gemini Three. Oh, so it's the third 
of, yeah. of the, I guess, set of three yeah, these, stations. Absolutely. These space condos are mostly self-sufficient, producing their own food and air. Um, the whole thing is one puke-inducing elder god away from being the uh, 2080 story Brink, which is a, a present thrill that I really like a lot. Um, anyhow. I don't know anything about what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're going to get, we'll get I to it in like 2030. What I will say is that apparently uh, judges have no jurisdiction here. They've called them up, specifically yeah. Judge Dredd. They've called Judge Dredd up because he is a specialist. Mm-hmm. And Judge Dredd's response to this is, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Dredd, knows, Dredd knows he looks good, man. I mean, I think we can all agree. But, uh... Yeah, no, what the fuck's up? <laughs> But yeah, uh, w- uh, there's been a murder. It's the one, like the uh, secure uh, security officers a broken neck. It could have been of a fall, but they want Dredd's expert help, especially since both the Gemini, the Gemini two catastrophe and there was a uh, oxygen system in Gemini one that also failed that killed over two hundred thousand people. And so they're just worried that there's been like something that's going to happen on Gemini three. It's just a matter of time. Maybe you really just have to self reflect that the Gemini program has been. Uh kind of a not great situation it's been cursed it's either been cursed or there's some sort of super murderous scooby-doo type bad guy going on here i'm just trying saying five hundred thousand people at minimum have died yeah it's rough <laughs> suddenly there's an announcement of a coming meteor shower and dread goes to check on the safety systems mind and finds you mind you when a meteor shower comes every, like an announcement sounds off in in the entirety of the condo, like, hey, go to this very specific place to watch this meteor shower. Yeah. I don't know, but um, oh, it certainly seems like a giant arena where definitely no one will die. <laughs> Dread goes to check uh, on the on the safety systems just in case and finds that the meteor shields are down and Gemini three will be perforated like Swiss months. But before he can do anything about it. Uh, Dread is attacked by a security technician. So asteroids the guy who was supposed to uh, clear it. Oh, yeah. he's the bad one. It's true. The asteroids start to hit the condo, and it looks like the end of the Gemini Three. Dread fights the tech, but his gun hand is quickly smashed, forcing him to cross draw. He shoots the man in the face, and it turns out he's a robot and keeps fighting despite half of his head being blown off. <laughs> the cool thing about robots is that they can just distribute themselves throughout the rest of their body. Yep. So, FYI, never shoot a robot in the head. Just blow all of the robot up. Gotta be and careful. not me uh, swearing fealty to people who are made out of flesh. Whoa. But that's just kind of common sense. Double whoa. So, uh, <laughs> Dread gets the robot to attack him and dodges at the last minute, causing the bot to hit a power coupling, destroying it. Dread orders the condo to fire its retros, but it's too late, and the meteor hits the station, sending citizens into the void where they quickly explode due to pressure imbalances, which I don't think actually happens, but it's very cool. All, um, all I have to say is it's, it's the coolest text box you will ever read, which is... Uh, then gases inside their bodies expand with sudden violence as you basically watch corpses in this comic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just explode. explode like fireworks. Um, the colony leader weeps sad tears as his condo finally moves free of the asteroid. Asteroids Justice 3 needs repairs, and Dredd has them get underway. He then checks in with Condo Central for damage report. 47% of their population is lost, 
as yeah, are their farms the and oxygen problem. plants. Yeah, the bad news is that they've been knocked out of orbit and are now heading into the sun in the direct opposite direction of the High Rock. Next time, Condo Inferno. <laughs> you know, um, I, I've been in this situation before. When, when your giant space station is being told that it's being sucked into the sun, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking... Don't try and solve the problem. Just get the fuck off the station. Uh, you, you, you've been in that situation before? I think that's the that's the question we all want to know. I thought you were going to say, I've been in this situation before. I've been in a condo with a lot of problems, and I've just decided to leave it. <laughs> or, or, I, or I've watched the movie Soul. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you, if someone goes crazy and is trying to drive your super uh, station into a sun, even though you're trying to reignite the sun for power in which to keep the earth running it it doesn't matter anything involving the sun yeah where you might be going into the sun instead of solving the problem just leave yeah listen the option number one is always get out that's the big key the sun (laughs) is the ultimate digestive system of our planet Yeah, it's hot, buddy. Speaking of things that are slightly less hot, it's non-thrills, covers, nerve center, and pop culture robots. <laughs> I was hoping you'd forget about this segment. Never. And we wouldn't have to talk. We start with uh, th- with Prague 317, Biowire, creeping killer of New Earth. Uh, we see Rogue carrying a dude through trouble and this kind of fun Cam Kennedy cover. An almost non-existent nerve center this month, or this, uh, this, this issue with Tharg offering dread graphic novels to people who write in. So I guess it's just better to give Hubert Windpipe and company... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Listen, they gotta advertise, man. They gotta make that money. Uh, Prog 318, you're next, Dread. The stupid gun is in action, this Ron Smith cover. In the nerve center, Trapper Tharg, the, uh, interstellar bounty hunter, <laughs> reveals that the stupid gun had no effect on Bert, which is kind of a burn. And there's a oh. picture of Sam Slade, Robo Chef. Robo Chef! It's good. And there's also it's letters. So- con- congratulating Tharg on his comic and report that more video games are using the term Tharg for the bad guys. Really? Uh, yeah. There's a lot, it, it, it's out there. Like, like Elite Dangerous um, has, like, the bad, the evil aliens are called, like, Thargoids or something like that. And that's, like, a yeah, modern like, game. But I like uh, Elite Dangerous. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Thargoids. I don't remember that. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Midprog, there's some reader art, including a set of Tharg 2080 stamps, Judge Kiwi, and a 2080 coat of arms, and a bunch of defeated Dread heroes. This prog ends with an awesome Torquemada pinup, Sleep is no refuge for impure thoughts. His mouth is possibly the creepiest part it's of it. It's full of, like, worms and stuff. Teeth. Yeah. 18 more issues till Nemesis is back. Uh, Prog... Oh, yeah. Gear up. Prog 319. The Samudroids Bonsai Attack Sam Slade in the in this great robot war cover by Ian Gibson. You know, sigh. That's all I can say. R- regrettable. In the nerve center, Tharg the Morris Miner, which is a car. Uh, to- <laughs> Talks about an upcoming Return of the Jedi contest. There's an art for of Rogue Sucker, which is a Rogue Trooper Thrill Sucker mashup. Mm. And it seems Earthlit uh, David West 
has the current Robo Hunter had the current Robo Hunter story spoiled for him by none other than uh, than a uh, droids Alan Moore and Richard Burton at a comic signing in Birmingham. The bots apologize what? in the next letter of this nerve center. It's pretty funny. Oh. Come on, it's like guys. An um-filled like, um Burt letter. Another letter requests a folder to hold old progs in, and one of those, like a 2080 uh, prog folder, will eventually replace pounds as the reward for letters being sent to 2080. That, that's years oh, to come from awesome. now. Yeah. Mid-prog, there's an action video extra with a with Munch Tharg art, which is Munch Man as a Pac-Man ripoff, of course. Um, and then there's high scores for Defender, Pac-Man, Asteroids, and Lock, uh, Lock and Chase, and The Empire Strikes Back. There's also an ad for the sci-fi special for this year that mentions the Judge Dredd story, but doesn't say that the art's by John Byrne, which, as we mentioned in the sci-fi thriller episode, is weird. <laughs> um, anyhow, more Tharg art this prog, including a T-Mech Tharg, yes! Genetic Infantryman Tharg, and Biffo Tharg, which is a GBH Tharg. Biffo it's pretty Tharg nice. Biffo was the best. Always love Biffo showing up. And GBH is always a good time. This prog ends with a nice pinup of Tharg sitting crisscross applesauce in deep space. And not having any thrill suckers or zrag people around him to make me remember all of the bad comics. I just like Tharg being all-powerful, man. That's all I yeah. want. I like Tharg. <laughs> I like Tharg when he's being dope. Yeah. In Prog 320, there's a galaxy of prizes to be won! Dude, Return of the Jedi OMG! Yeah. It's a guy from the start of Return of the Jedi who never shows up again. It's the pig guy. Yeah, the Gamorrean guard, man. Uh, Robin Smith draws some sweet Star Wars aliens as we celebrate the release of Return of the Jedi on this cover. Uh, Tharg, Skiz... Well, go, what, go ahead. What? How do you remember it's a Gamorrean guard? That was impressive. I mean, that's the, that's like real talk, the one like non-main character, uh, Star Wars race that I know. I like pig dudes and like minotaurs Hammerhead. and stuff. Uh, yeah, the, well, no, those are Ithorians. I know that one too. I don't know. I'm weird. What? But, uh. <laughs> they have an actual, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off, but I didn't know they had an actual, I just thought they were called hammerheads. It's fucking trap sprung for my nerdiness, Fox. I don't know if I appreciate I it. You have full power in but but so uh, Tharg Skiz is also stoked about Re Return of the Jedi in the Nerve Center. There's prizes to be won. Uh, besides some Judge Dredd the fan art, there's also letters about Skiz in relation to E.T. And we've talked about this, actually, this episode. Yeah. And I feel like we're going to talk about this a lot. Um, there's, I, you know, obviously there's some crossover, but there's also Not a the lot same. of... A lot of differences that make it its own thing for sure. I think, we, yeah, Not the same. yeah. Um, so, especially as 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 Skiz sort of transitions into a, a little bit more of a caper as we kind of get um, later into the story here. Fuck You're, you, really? Yeah, listen. This the plot is to, he the, to the plot to, to free Skiz is about to become oh. elaborate and awesome. But anyhow, I'm so into Skiz being a jewel heist. <laughs> so the contest for Return of the Jedi appears to uh, is, for, is for some action figures and video games and stuff, and it involves a word puzzle or based on a schematic like drawing of a space 
battle thing. The, the secret word's rebel. I'll let you know that. I solved it. Uh, Mid-prog, yeah. there's a tiny little ad that just says, Slain is coming, which is super exciting. Um, and then this prog ends with the kind of ad we've actually seen a lot of that I don't think we've remarked upon yeah. yet, Fox, which is um, these sort of color comics depicting an in-universe version of a board game, like what is going on in the board game while you're playing it. Uh, this time it's for, it's for Cluedo. Who which, murdered Dr. Black, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I always think is funny just because we call it Clue here in the States and it's Cluedo in Britain. That's just that's a weird here's, change. Here's what I'll say about this as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I hate about ads? What? It proves out that, yeah, you could print your entire comic book in color. <laughs> but no, it's always in pay the money. Yeah, in strategic places. Also, I just want to say that uh, I love Tim Curry. Tim Curry's a real good guy, and that is a Tim, clue reference. Tim Curry is the best person, and when he plays a devil, he is possibly the best devil ever. Or murderous butler. Uh, so, boom. <laughs> well, possibly murderous butler. I mean, there's a thousand reasons why he's not a murderous butler. It's he could true. be working for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And speaking of mysterious secrets from the past, it's through four rogue trooper. <laughs> that. That's real good. Best. That's real good. Ever. No, that was great. Because <laughs> we got Millicom memories here, man. Um. So. God. Just a quick one to start here. Um, sorry, script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, letting robot Bill Nuttall. Um, so we start off, there's a platoon of Souther soldiers making their way behind Nort lines. They get to a section of Bob wire and the sergeant guy like lays across it to let his troops walk over him to, to, to progress. But suddenly the wire comes alive. And it kills just everybody yeah it like the cook of the platoon it chokes and kills the whole the, the, the whole platoon except for the cook who is soon found by rogue trooper and you know the guy's named cookie and he's just in full shell shock mode he only survived because he was like sort of lagging behind because he had to carry the las cooker which is this kind of like i don't know like laser instapot that he's carrying around. just just so you know conrad like a platoon mm-hmm. is like at yeah. minimum twenty eight people. Okay, so it's a squ- it's a, it's a squad, but you know no, what I mean. I, I'm just saying it, it either killed like thirty nine ish. Killed a bunch of people. people yeah, or, and he's the last survivor. Like five. Yeah, and but he, the squad had a cook. Yeah, it, he's he's real shell shocked. Uh, Rogue decides to help him and blows a path through the wire with grenades and then carries Cookie on his shoulders through this just forest of angry Bob Wire coming after him. It's awesome. It's real good. Like, just the pictures of this are real cool. And the cover depicting this is also really neat of just, like, Rogue booking it while this guy who looks kind of spaced out is, like, carrying this big, like, kind of walk thing up, 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 up on his shoulders and stuff. Do you know what isn't awesome, though, Conrad? Uh, a fucking mean- stupid board game about Weedabay. Moving on. <laughs> oh my god, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, they sur- they survive, but they land right in the arms of a Nort patrol who take them oh, prisoners shit. and force Cookie to cook them dinner. They're preparing to send them back to Nort High Command when suddenly all the Norts choke because some bio-wires accidentally gotten inside the Laz cooker and then it has grown and eats its way out inside of these Nort troopers. Ripping their way out of their mouths. You can see it like coming out of their mouths and stuff. Oh, it's real terrifying. (laughs) And so Cookie is like, I I killed him. I got revenge. 
Uh, soon, the free Rogue and Cookie cause South are out. Atmo Craft and Rogue heads out. Cookie will get picked up and get the psych care he needs. His war is over, which is, you know, at just, least he's out. But man, that's a this is a rough story. Cookie because that was an invasion murder. Totally. It's, like, I just don't know how active he was about it because I can't tell if he, like, took Biowire pieces and then fed it to the Nords or if it just happened accidentally. Um, but I, that was I on. I care less about the specifics and more that Biowire crawled out of a man's mouth, yeah. murdering no, him from the inside. If it was on and purpose, that was that's when, that's 100% some Bill Savage shit. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> So let's go on to start Milcom Memories, Fox. This is a short Rogue Trooper story, but it's a very important Rogue Trooper story, I'd say. I, I have so many mixed feelings about yeah, this kind of thing. That's super fair. We open with Rogue taking down a Nort patrol quite expertly with help from the chips, as always. But the final survivor is dying, and Rogue decides to like help him out instead of shooting him, which I don't... I don't understand the morality of this. Like, how you go from one second trying to kill him to then trying to save him. It doesn't make sense to me that much. the chips, dude? Yeah, the, I agree with the chips here. Um, especially because after he uses res- uses valuable resources to patch the Nord up and stuff, um, and Gunner calls him a softie, which reminds all the rest of the chips that they used to have bodies and be people. Um, Rogue leaves and the Nord throws a broken rifle at Rogue's back. Uh, which he t- Rogue turns to kill him, and then he gets hit in the chest by it. Uh, Gunner shoots the Nort, but Rogue's in a bad way. You know, he's got a freaking like uh, bayonet coming out of his heart, basically. Um, Rogue kind of lies down against like a wall, and uh, Bagman does surgery on him. But as but he not after like being prodded to, and then Rogue starts speaking in tongues. Yeah, and shit that happened while they were in training camp, which yeah. seems really like. Why is this coming out now? Yeah, as as Bagman does the surgery, Rogue is delirious and just starts, I don't know, free associating back to his time with the chips and when they were still uh, living dudes and back up on Millicom when they were all uh, uh, baby GIs, basically. It just um, seems really, um, I don't it, know, like... Yeah, uh, it doesn't seem like it actually happened. I, I know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> so... Rogue lies on the ground, he's covered by Gunner and mumbling about Millicom, where the GIs were made. He flashes back to the nursery, where the baby GIs came out of tubes and grow up. A lot of tube babies this episode. <laughs> we see young Gunner, who's a crack... Well, because Sam Slade's clone was in a tube, oh, too. Oh, I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> but so, uh, Gunner is a crack shot, but he's got a lot of impulsiveness that sort of uh, get the better of him a lot. Rogue overhears the brass discussing psyche valves of the GI, and that of the GIs and that Gunner's probably too unstable to be uh, sent in the assault. But before that can be announced in the nursery, which is a space station, goes through like a meteor shower. A lot of space stations being hit by meteor showers this issue too, this episode too. But uh, a deadly chemical agent that's apparently just kept on like hanging from the walls falls off and just threatens the brass. Dude. Whatever. But uh, Rogue has Gunner, who's a crack shot, like shoot the decam agent to counteract this poisonous stuff. And because of that, his quick actions and excellent marksmanship earn him a reprieve and so he does get a chance to um drop with the rest of the gis and gunner must never know how close but he hey, came to being failed out do you 
remember that hottie with boobs who is also blue? Yeah. Now we're going to talk about someone else this next episode. Just as Gunner must never know how close he came to being kicked out for being unstable, Hell must never know about Rogue and Venus Blue Jeans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> FYI, they didn't uh, do the dirty blue. Nope. I mean, like, I... I was hoping for something leading up to that because some of their audience at this point is teenagers. Not quite yet. Uh, yeah, but not, not, I, not quite yet. Yeah. I, I will say this because uh, I didn't live in Europe as a kid, mm -hmm. but um, my grandparents used to visit a lot. Uh -huh. uh, the next page past this is about Playmobil. And I oh, yeah. don't know if you know about this toy company, Conrad, but I will at least say this much. Before I ever played with Legos, I played with Toymobile. Yeah, I've, I've done some, some, some Playmobile. I got the guys with like the smiley faces and like the little like, like hats that are divoted to let you put a hat on, uh, heads that are divoted to put a hat on. What's really messed up is that like, so I grew up Roman Catholic uh -huh. and all of the um, play sets they would Oh, yeah, they had like super religion. Based. Yeah, I would I would re reenact uh, uh, like biblical takings <laughs> of walls or takings of cities and stuff nice. like that. Like yeah, that. with Playmobil, walls I'm of Jericho, saying, buddy. Like uh, maybe we got more in common Europe. I don't know if UK knows hey. Playmobil. I mean, I guess I think they do. If it's in this comic book, yeah. I mean, we've seen Lego ads in here too, and you know, That's it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah. All right. So next, <laughs> let's let's talk about how how Rogue doesn't steal Helm's girl by doing something that you would expect. Yeah. So we got these dolls, right? They're the female counterparts of the GIs. The hottest among them is is Venus Blue Jeans. Uh, dolls dolls do all the non combat work. Uh, Venus prepared GIs drop capsules. Helm had always been sweet on Venus Blue Jeans, so he gets real pissed. When some human officers like start harassing her, basically, which seems which real, like, real, real gross by these humans. Like, oh yeah, they 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 basically treat her like, oh, you're not a human being, which yep. is a horrible thing to do to say anybody with sentience. Agreed. Helm goes to Br Helm went to break it up, but Rogue knew that Helm didn't have a great record, so like getting in a fight with some officers would probably keep him from going on the drop as well. So he shuts so off the breakers? He turns off, yeah. It's not breakers, but just turns off the lights. Yeah, he basically turns off the lights, and then like he continues the fight Helm started and kind of motions for Helm to get out of there, so that uh, Rogue gets in trouble, but his exemplary record up until that point means that he can take the heat essentially um when he it's still dudes like I, I, I just want everyone to know i think he at least just like like knocked him out or something like that i don't know if he killed oh. him i mean um, we all right yeah. i i want to prefer that he said that he killed some dudes i don't know if they let him drop if he killed him you know um yeah but he, he just put on a charge basically when it's time for the drop rogue when it was time for the drop, Rogue found a love note from Venus in his pod, plus extra shock protection. But he resolved never to tell Helm about this, especially after the drop turned out to be the an, an ambush and the Quartz massacre, and it was pretty clear he'd never make it back to Millicom. 
Uh, Helm is super pissed about this revelation as Bagman is gloating. <laughs> like, oh, you guys are really fucking up back in Millicom. <laughs> but then Rogue starts talking about something about Bagman and the people he killed. But who could Bagman have murdered? I mean, you know, besides all those other people that Bagman has killed with, like, micro-mines and shit. He killed that lady in the scan sector by just dropping a mine and then Rogue waltzed her right onto it. He's killed a lot of people. But anyhow... <laughs> Next time. Why would any of these people <laughs> care? They are murder machines made yeah. people. Well, I, you know, we'll find out next time. Next time with Behind the Green Door, which sounds like this could be getting kind of uh, kind of hot or something. I don't know. I know what that means normally. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is that if you, if you make genetically modified in, engineered people, they probably don't really fucking care when they kill somebody. It's true. Right? I'll say also that um, Cam Kennedy is great, but I like... you want to modify. (laughs) Totally. I want to say that I like Brett Brett Ewins' Venus Blue Jeans way more coming up soon. (laughs) Anyhow. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So she's going to play a bigger role. She comes back, yeah. Oh, that's cool. It's real nice. I love... Yeah, Venus Blue Jeans... Venus Blue Jeans, like, definitely... Yeah, you know, whatever. High-level, like, attractive 2080 characters. <laughs> let, let me put it this way. When when you get excited, it means that I'm probably in for something cool. Should be good. I, you know, I try to give you a, a, a map of things to come. And speaking of the start of good things to come, Fox, it's oh. Thrill 5 Time Twisters. Is that is that a map of good things to come, Conrad? It is when it comes to this first time, Twister. Dr. and Quinch have fun on Earth. Aw, yeah. <laughs> uh, script robot Alan Moore as E.E. E. Quinch. Art robot Alan Davis. Letting robot Steve Potter. Well, of course, remember Alan Davis from Harry 20 and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, man. Dr. and Quinch, buddy. Um, first off, I want to say, Fox, there's an elf. Like, Dr. and Quinch are sort of, I'd say they're... If you want to list the characters that Alan Moore has created for 2000 AD, right? Like, mm. number one are Halo Jones and Halo Jones accessories. Uh, Skiz is probably three, and then DR and Quinch are two. Like, they're, like, the second, like, most famous and popular characters that he's created for 2000 the AD. Quaffed hair and, and giant tusks. That's right. Yeah, so the elephant in the room for DR and Quinch is that these guys are based on the National Lampoon characters, O.C. and Stiggs. Um, I, I will say that I like their affect, especially um, DR's like writing of like. Yeah, he keeps writing his he, name on he feels graffiti like taggy things. Definitely, he constantly says like. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and no, like very, this, very, very like close that. to the home. Yeah, <laughs> but so. Uh, listen, like, there's two things I know about O.C. and Stiggs, which is what D.R. and Quinch are clearly based on, Fox. One is that there was a movie made, made about them that was directed by Robert Altman, and it starred yeah, Dennis Dennis Hopper, John Cryer, and Cynthia Nixon. Oh. And most people nowadays watch it as part of their, like, bad movie podcast or bad movie blog or something like that. No, I mean, like, don't, don't watch most, because it was National Lampoons, right? I believe I don't know if it was specific. Yeah, no, it was, it was National Lampoon. Yeah, it was specifically yeah, it branded was as that. Listen, and it comes and it comes all, from that all, like thing. For one moment, Conrad. Yeah, please listen. At one point, someone made one movie which incorporated the National Lampoon's name into mm-hmm. a movie that was amazing. Oh, I Stop feel like that happened twice. National Lampoon movies, like don't 
other than Christmas Maybe. Vacation, just stop. Oh, Animal House is good too. Oh, and come on. I'd say the All first right, the fine. first vacation is decent. Is- um, Christmas, but Christmas vacation is amazing. Christmas vacation is good. I got a lot of good, real specific nostalgia memories for that because it came out when I was like eight, and it was real the perfect time for me for that. Um, you and me, buddy. But like, yeah, and then I'd say, you know, I like Animal House. Um, first vacation's pretty good. After that, nah, man, get out of there. Especially nowadays, yeah. where it's just like the, oh. where it's just like the the also ran maker of uh, teen sex comedies at like after uh, American Pie, like gets real bad. Fucking- fucking exactly correct anything with national lampoons in it you should completely avoid other than the two movies mentioned yeah um yeah, but- like you are from somewhere else england or otherwise christmas vacation that is the movie you should watch i feel like people Please know watch this not- but like i animal, i will say animal house is good i like animal, watch yeah. nothing else mm-hmm I, I'd say, yeah, so I'd say, so again, O.C. and Stiggs, the two thing I know is that one, they're from National Lampoon and there was a movie. And two is that everybody talks, is that I've mostly heard them mentioned in, in relation to the fact that they inspired DR and Quinch. I feel like at this point, DR and Quinch are the stronger brand and things like that. Um, but yeah. yeah they're good. I, I think, think it's fun. But so we've addressed the DR and Quinch elephant. So now let's blow shit up. Um, Ernie Quinch. He's a big alien college student. He's got tusks. Uh, he doesn't say that much. His buddy is Waldo Dobbs, who's called DR for diminished responsibility, and is kind of a goblin-looking alien with a pompadour. <laughs> They've both been suspended from college by a mean dean, so they go to have some fun. They rent a time flipper and then go back in time to the time of the dinosaurs on the planet Earth. Uh, they kill a bunch Shoot of them. Some lizards, dude. Yeah, they f- they. F- Fly around to their super dope penis spaceship. Um, <laughs> look at it, you know. Um, it is exactly that. They blow up dinos and they use some thermonuke bazooka shells to reform the continents of the planets in the way they like. Hey, look at all this soup. I guess we should shoot it and then whatever. We'll come back when they're formed. Yeah, they eventually come back and spend the next few million years sort of trolling the living things of Earth. <laughs> they they teach cavemen about war. They inspire the Egyptians to build the pyramids. They ignite Krakatoa, empty out the Mary Celeste, bean Isaac Newton in the head with an apple, and destroy some planes and ships around Bermuda, if you take my meaning. Um... <laughs> Around the 50s, they start doing some alien encounters and teach people some intergalactic terminology and, like, greeting phrases and stuff. After a quick prank on Neil Armstrong, they end also pausing quick briefly to destroy the West Coast of the United States. Uh, they... Wrong coast to destroy, guys. Hey, I'm fine with it now. I'm fine with it now. (laughs) I'm out of there. (laughs) Before I would take it personally. Um, But after that, uh, they help humanity reach the stars and get entered into the Galactic League. It turns out that the message of peace and join the Galactic League they gave them many years ago was actually kind of a rude phrase that makes everybody kind of chuckle. Like, oh my god, I can't believe they just said that. Um, at the big dinner, welcoming humanity to the League of Planets, which the no-good Dean from the start of this story is sure to be at because he's a member, the surface of Earth is shown yeah, and apparently... They, they pull a hole so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah, well, they, apparently the uh, the continents of Earth say Dean Fusk is an is embezzling the canteen fund and Mrs. Fusk is a convicted shoplifter and their horribly ugly son Mark is a known snitch. 
Um, naturally, Earth is destroyed to lessen the embarrassment, but Dean Fusk has apparently died of it. <laughs> uh, my, my statement still stands. So long. And thanks for all the fish. Indeed. DR and Quinch are happily allowed back to school. Hooray! DR and Quinch will return in 1984. What I what I love is that he's writing a paper about yeah. his... It's like a what I did on my summer vacation story. <laughs> like, exactly. Paper. DR is writing a this was my summer vacation for his his university paper. Or at yeah. least what I would I would expect is like an acceptance letter for secondary school and not university. <laughs> yeah. Um I just I just love D- this thing's so funny, man. Um, I just love how big of big jerks these guys are. <laughs> that it's all just like a prank and just a whole bunch of things. I think it's really funny. Do you know what? Do you know what isn't funny from this mm. original idea? What? The next time Twister being the exact same thing, but about fucking an ape. <laughs> I mean, kinda. So the next one's going native, which is also written by Alan Moore. Going native. Yeah, art robot Mike you are, White. You are you're a British person now. I, I don't know. I don't know about that. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's what it's called. That's the name of the thing. Uh, Letting Robots Pete Knight. So I want to say one thing is that all the Alan Moore time twisters this month feel like short stories that kind of have pictures attached to them. Like there's yes. very few word bubbles. It's all just kind of these extensive te- uh, texts. And this one especially, um, it because it's so much written text, it's kind of hard to recap without just reading the story, basically. Yes. But basically, a time traveler who's come back to the Paleolithic age to oh, find the missing... Yeah, well, I'm trying to give some background for it, all right? All right. Yeah, fine. <laughs> He's just trying to find the missing link between hunchback Neanderthal and straight-back humans. After a few months back, the time traveler Woodrow starts to really enjoy the simplicity of uh, prehistoric okay, life. Yeah, short, short end of it is he fucks an ape girl. Yeah, sorry, yeah. He falls in love with an ape lady named Murr. Uh, he resolves not to go back forward in time. They got a bunch of kids with straight backs. Your great-grandfather is a time-traveling ape fucker! Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> you're spoiling my jokes dude oh, with your look, whatever what i'm saying is that what it's saying is that you me everyone listening to this podcast yeah yeah someone from like 3067 went back in time and said you know this this chick with a unibrow who was impressed by the fact that i lasered a dog to death yeah wanted to have sex with me I feel like they were falling in love before then, but yeah, oh, dude. I'm just saying, like they had a full on every, like a every, like everybody's a... <laughs> prospects now are better than uh, cave dweller prospects of whatever future they were trying. To oh, what well, tough talk! Won't date a cave woman, okay? All, <laughs> all I'm saying is, yeah, no, I won't. I won't date a cave woman. Fair, I suppose. Um, anyhow. I want, I want to date a robot and to have robo-babies. Mmm. I didn't even know that was on the table. But <laughs> next Always up... Always on the table, Conrad. Whoa. <laughs> next up, it's The Impossible Murder. Script robot Chris... Great. Chris Lauder's JMT. Our robot is Carlos Escarra. Letting robot Peter Knight. October 2028. 20, a bunch of cops break down the door. Escarra, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, he, they, they break down the door of this rich guy who's smugly sipping wine. And Escarra draws this guy as so impossibly smug. It's really Looking fantastic. Looking his glass of wine at the viewer. Absolutely. I love it. 
They like try to arrest him for killing his brother and the rich guy whose name is Shelby admits it but says they'll never be able to prove it. The cops disagree because they got him on video and they play it showing him doing it. But and Shelby like, hasn't... Nah, man. Yeah, he's got an alibi because he was having dinner with a bunch of dignitaries, including Mayor McManus, St- City Secretary Burton and Treasurer Frame, right in front, you know, right during the time of the murderer. And I really like how... Uh, Weird that he used a bunch of names of people who work on the comic book. Yeah, right? I love the stealth the stealth I credits of that. It. That's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> but anyhow... I believe, so I believe the names were... Because uh, I saw this, because yeah. it was Bert was the one that really threw me for a loop because it was McManus. Yeah. Uh, Burton and Frank. Burton. And Frank. Yeah. Well, cause you know, cause so Steve McManus is, is Tharg right now. He's the editor of 2000 AD. Okay. Uh, Burton is Richard Burton. Who's also the robot Bert. Right. Um, and he's the assistant editor or the, like a sub editor, whatever. He's, he's and a second in command of 2000 AD. The, and the t- t- frame is, yeah. Yeah. The, oh, that's awesome. That Tom frame. Yeah. So, so it's literally a nod from the writer. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny just because, like, it's Pete Knight who's lettering this, so he's clearly, like, giving a shout-out to his buddy Tom, like, in this thing. Um, That's nice. Yeah, yeah, totally. But so it turns out, so how could this be done? It turns out that Shelby and his brother are identical twins, and no one knows who was born born first for the purposes of inheriting their, their parents' money, but they both work at the Temporal Research Lab, and they've just had a breakthrough for time machines. Um, so clearly, this guy's gone back in time, and or forward in time, he's, he's used the time machine to kill his brother, and then masked his identity enough. Cray. Yeah, and there's just no, uh, there's no law for that kind of thing. Um, it's the perfect crime for sure until suddenly the other Shelby warps in and kills this one. It's the dead brother. brother. The past who's dead in the future goes to the future to shoot the brother in the past. It's clear because he's wearing like a dinner jacket that he must have killed his brother in the future moments before as he was killed in turn by his own brother in the past. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so real. This is a real, shit. real twisty, turny, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey kind of mu- uh, 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 a murder mystery. Uh, Please don't, don't give me a, a timey wimey. What is his name? Don't Walter the robot me. Uh, this is more of a David Tennant Doctor Who thing, but um, it's a it's a it's a temporal knot, and so just call the freaking meat wagon because this case is closed. Let's just fill out the paperwork before it gets I, any I more complicated. At the end of this, the, the detective is like, uh, "No, fuck it. Just, yeah, just, we're closing this. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. We aren't going further into this. Like, I got a life to live. That's great. <laughs> the final story is Ring Road. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot Jesus Redondo, letting robot Steve Potter. So this is. A strange little story i think um a woman in 1935 escapes a detention center gets picked up by an old woman in the car kills her and steals the car driving out on a moonlit night as she drives and steals the car yeah which apparently has a big thing of money in the back too as she drives things start to change she doesn't realize it but she's just uh, rapidly moving forward in time. She stops at a service station in 1975, keeps traveling and picks up a hitchy, a hippie hitchhiker. Later, she drives past a dystopian 1980s scene full of punks. And then there's a big mushroom cloud and eventually the end of all existence. She goes back around. Time passes and she gets, and she gets older, driving through the rebirth of the world past dinosaurs and cavemen. Eventually, she's become an old woman. She pulls over to pick up another hitchhiker. 
a pinched and starved looking young lady who is clearly hurt from the start of the story and everything starts all over again. Time oh, really shit. is a flat circle. Bam, bam, bam. The detention center is actually a, a time paradox in which you relive your own death. Ah. It's crazy. But yeah, so. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Just like weird little time travel story. This is another one of these Alan Moore ones that's like has very few, has no speech bubbles and is just narration balloons sort of thinking of things. And, you know, having it be an internal monologue like that does kind of make it be a little bit more like kind of haunting and like interesting. But in the end, it's sort of, it's still kind of a basic story, I guess. That's pretty good. I liked it. Like, I liked uh, it pretty well, actually. Yeah. But with that, Fox... Oh, God. We are done with thrills for this. What is it? Oh, my God. For this May and June of 1983. 1983. Brought 317 to 320. So, the question remains, what were your top and bottom thrills? So, I mean, I I feel like, yeah, we kind of called this out a little early. Yeah. So, uh, what disappointed me the most... um, Mm -hmm about these last four comics are Robo Hunter. Uh-huh. And so so usually I tell you what I like the most. Right. And what I'll tell you is what I like the least. <laughs> um it was close. Like uh Time Twisters like I wasn't so excited about. And I think that um maybe I might get some flack about this. Like I I I think they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um like the order for me goes, uh, Rebel Hunter is the worst. Uh-huh. Like, it, it really did waste my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in a way that I was happy about, not because it was wasting my time, but also because I have come to love Robo Hunter in such a way that now it feels like filler. It's like filler yeah. cartoon. Interesting. Right? Like, like, I. Uh, there are there are uh, uh, coyote and roadrunner scenes mm-hmm. that I have seen one thousand and one hundred times <laughs> that that I'm done with seeing, but I see them all the time because they're the filler, right? Like there's right. tons of filler out there. Um, the second, however, is Judge Dread. Mm. Like I expected more out of this comic book, and what I got was literally filler. Hmm. And was, I can see that, and, 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 I, and I'm not judging Judge Dredd as like a. It wasn't good. It was funny. It was it was fine. Uh, like obviously, I read through it, but it wasn't better than Time Twisters. Wow. Right? So when yeah. I say that Time Twisters like were lackluster for me, they were more interesting than both for this month for these four issues. Interesting. Uh, Judge Dredd or Robo Hunter. Mm-hmm. Robo Hunter, which they put at the fucking start yeah so let's talk best yeah we both know skiz is fucking amazing it's real good red skid is skiz is so good yeah i gotta agree and i i know we've talked about this before i know we've said this in previous episodes conrad skiz is a comic book that i love not just because it will be a one-off but because it is a one-off given attention yeah that makes sense to me and that feels right Mm -hmm. like giving an author a space to use what limited space he has to uh explain what's going on Mm -hmm. and giving a an artist the limited space they have to 
show what's going on. This is a yeah. And I agree. I really feel that in skits. That makes sense to me for sure. So how about you, man? Um, yeah, I'm gonna agree. I'd say I I didn't fi- I kind of found Robo Hunter to be kind of a slog uh, this this month. It wasn't very good in comparison. But yeah, especially sort of some of the heights we've had with Robo Hunter. Like I said earlier, this you know we are getting towards sort of the end of this initial Robo Hunter run, and it, it's kind of sh- it's kind of breaking down a little bit. I think we kind of feel like you know. I, just the nature of the stories makes me wonder if, if like these guys are happy telling these kinds of stories, like this, this, this character's story a lot and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I really agree about Skiz too. Skiz is my top. Um, just, you know, this middle part where just showing how sad everybody is and how heartbroken everybody is about these different, about like Skiz going, being taken by the government, how evil Van Owen is and just cruel. He is like, he's not just a bad guy. Like you really get a sense that he's like, you know, the like anger and like the evil within him is really neat. And the kindness. Yeah. And then just like Like the way, the way Roxy is, does things. And even like for like Cornelius, who could just be a joke character, how deep that they go with him. No, um, all three of them are working. really great people. Yeah. Right. Um, they're, they're not from a perfect house. No. They are people who are tertiarily associated with her father. Yeah. And both of them are not perfect people. They don't even have work. They have to Definitely. go to a workhouse to yeah. try and find it. Right? Like, and it's a, it's a true-to-life story. Yeah. And I want to say also, like, we've talked a lot about the characterization, the writing. I really love Jim Bakey's art here as well. Mm. Like, that can't be said enough. Like, the... Earlier, the earlier stuff when you see Skiz like dreaming about like his home world and stuff is so amazing and beautiful and creates this kind of otherworldly space for Skiz to exist in is really great. The way that he depicts like emotion, like the, you know, the, the, uh, the cruelty you can see on Van Owen's face, the way that he depicts Roxy going through school and like, t- like, you know, being really alienated and like things going on around her with her classmates that one that that one scene where like um where her father hits her is so striking and then so heartbreaking that it's just so amazing and it's the combination of the words and the art that make the both that really work together in this beautiful like thing just to really evoke emotion that's real fantastic really like really like in skiz that's what i'm trying to say (laughs) as an artist he asks for no words to be uh, printed on important portions of. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I feel like most of, guys are like feeling. that. Yeah. It's I. It's either that. It's either that or the writer. Right. I like feel like where, yeah. Where where neither of them want text to follow what you will interpret, and and you know I, I've talked to you about this before, but people aren't stupid. <laughs> like, yeah. When they see when they see something. Uh, they, they will interpret the message. And yeah, yeah I, it won't be 100% picture perfect, but it'll be obvious. I do and think it'll it's, strike yeah. Home. Yeah, I think it's a talent that, that Moore has here, at least, is definitely, I, I think it's actually maybe a little different from some of his future shocks writing, but in Skiz, he seems really willing to let the art do some, do, do some of the heavy lifting and the storytelling, as opposed to trying to w- do words for it also, you know? And I think and I, I that's think the strength of comic books. It's right? a very, like it's a very, 
yeah, it's an important choice that I think uh, that that sometimes uh, comic writers have pro- have trouble. It's it's hard to let go like that, but I think he does a really good job of doing that in Skiz for for sure. But yeah, man, ah, oh, Skiz is real good, guys. It was I mean, real good. You guys need to read Skiz. I feel like so many people. I feel like anybody who's listening to this has, and if they shouldn't, you got to get on that, like read for real. Skiz, but it's yeah, so good. we're having a. I, uh, it's something I've, I've been looking forward to since we started this show, and so I'm so glad that you know we're both digging it and stuff like that. Oh, it was man, real. How can you not? Real worried we were just going to get to it and be like, oh, it's just an ET ripoff. Who gives a fuck? But yeah. Oh, it- <laughs> This is so I, I will say unequivocally, anyone who says this is an ET ripoff has not read the comic. It's yeah, I'd agree with that. But yeah, um I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner two thousand on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at spacespinner two thousand dot com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner two thousand at gmail dot com on the two thousand eighty forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, just look up SpaceSpinner2000 and we should be there. Come back next time as Fox takes an episode off and we welcome Eamon Clark of the Mega City Book Club aboard. Eamon! Yeah, for the Judge Dread annual 1984. It's a really good one with like time travel, Judge Dread fights the devil, all kinds of stuff, plus Max Normal and those random tech stories you've come to love in these things. Check it out. Then Eamon, come... Eamon is amazing. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, we had... We, I've already done the... I, I've already taped that episode and we had a lot of fun with it. And then come back next Monday for episode 100. Episode 100, Fox. Holy crap. Real drunk. We're going <laughs> to get drunk, right? I mean, drink. I... We talked about it, yeah. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000, Splendid Mirth Rig. Rig.